You may be seated, friends. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you meet us now? Give us yourself. Simply let us, let us be with you. We thank you, Lord. Amen. So I, I'm one of those people who, um, for whom middle school wasn't the best uh, experience of life. Now, I deeply respect middle schoolers, and I deeply respect people who work with middle schoolers, and I'm not throwing stones at anybody who is work, trying to work with me. I think I was just sort of in a blur, just sort of a knucklehead in a blur during those years. That was me, maybe not anybody else. The only thing I really remember from middle school that I got right, the only thing I really remember getting right is that in PE, we started doing track. Now, I, I had never run on a track before or run a quarter mile timed or a mile or whatever. I'd never done that. And we started doing track. And so they started out for the first time ever, they started doing stretches. And we were stretching. And it was incredibly painful. Incredibly painful. So the one thing I got right is that somehow as a middle schooler sitting in, in my bedroom at my desk in the evening, one evening it occurred to me, if this is so incredibly painful and I hate it so much, maybe if I did some in the evening, I would begin to adapt to it and it wouldn't hurt so bad. I have no idea how I had that idea. I, but bless the Lord, it came to me and I began to do it. And lo and behold, I came to love stretching. And I began to, to stretch all the time. Even after track was over and all the rest, I could do, I could do scissor splits, not, the, not this, but this, at age 45. I got so limber. I led my soccer team. I was the dude they all hated because I led the stretches. And everybody else hated me in August preseason practice because I was out there loving it and making up new stretches for them to all do, and they're out there moaning and groaning and cussing at me and stuff. It was a ball. I want to say this morning, odd analogy. Thanks for bearing with me through that weird bit. I want to say this morning that prayer is something like stretching. It's certainly stretching for the soul, and it may be uncomfortable. It may even sometimes be painful. It may be something that, we go, oh, wait, I didn't expect this or that, or I can't hold it all or whatever. I want to say, though, that prayer, while it is a stretching for the soul, it isn't only a stretching for the soul. It also affects the body. It also affects the mind. It affects the wholeness, the fullness of who we are. We have a, an epidemic in our society of mental health crises. There are many reasons for this, I believe. I think anybody would agree there are multiple reasons. It's hard to sort out. Many of these things are complex. One thing that helps, one thing that allows us to be able to find a deep space of rest and of calm a space that in a good way we can call our own in our interior selves, in our interior life, is the stretching of our souls in prayer. So this morning, as we walk this summer in the Psalms, we're walking in the heart cry of the Bible and the Psalms. This morning, we're walking in Psalm 63. 
And Psalm 63 works, as we've seen that several of these psalms work. It works. There are 11 verses, as it's been laid out. And it's roughly three quadruples. I, I know it doesn't quite work, but the third one, the, the last one only has three verses, but it's roughly three quadruples, three quads. And they roughly work in a progression together. And the first one begins with this, this lovely just sharing from David of who he was and what was so deep to him. My God, or excuse me, oh God, you are my God. Oh God, you are my God. I want to say this is, this is not an introductory line. This is the core depth of all that is said in this psalm. This is the core depth of the greatest thing that you can know in all of life. If, if oh my God, can be turned from a, from a, you know, an expression of exasperation to an expression of hope. That's the single core, deepest, greatest thing you can know in life. It isn't the only thing to know. It isn't the only thing God cares about, but it's the deepest core beginning place. To be able to say that the God, the one who made everything, who is the God, the one who's over everything, that that God is not only the God, but he's my God. And to be able to say that and know the comfort of that is the deepest and the greatest thing possible. Now, if that seems impossible, if you're doing the math on that, I don't, know, I don't even know, how many billion people on the planet are we up to? Are we up to nine yet? Uh, close, if not, right? How many people have existed before? So if you're doing the math on that and you're saying, eh, I don't know, I mean, that just seems a bit, pardon me, mind-stretching, then, well, that's part of how it helps to begin with the person of Jesus. Jesus walks on this earth as the human being restored and the human being perfectly in communion with the God. And people responded and continue to respond to his person. And he promised us that he would be with us always, personally, even to the end. And he promised to send his spirit who would be a comforter and a presence with us. So David begins with the the best, I mean, stay awake, but it's all kind of downhill from here. Oh God, you are my God. It's the best thing you can know. And so he says, early will I seek you. I love it. When I was a student on this campus and I had a a class with a fantastic professor about, about mission about missiology, about uh, different cultures and the way that different cultures understand the message of Jesus and how they interact with it and all the rest. And professor shared that he had been in Scotland to do his PhD. And that in Scotland, you know, it gets dark early and it's, it's foggy and it's, you know, cold and windy and blustery. And so he said, you know, the Scots as a people, they tended not to venture out too early in the morning in the wintertime during the school year. They, they tended to stay in and have tea and be cozy, you know, and have a big oatmeal breakfast and all this stuff. Good stuff. I mean, I'm all for it. All this hobbitoid stuff, right? And, but their churches were, were withering. 
And so they had some Korean brothers and sisters who were at the school and their churches were thriving. So they talked to these Korean brothers and sisters and they said, why don't you bring your pastor over to teach us how to grow our church? So the pastors came over to teach these Scots how to grow their church. And these Koreans are famous for these early, early, early morning prayer meetings. This is something that's a wonderful thing in the culture of their church. Generally speaking, they're famous for these. And so these Korean pastors show up and they say to these Scots who don't want to get out of bed early and they don't want to venture out into the mist and the fog and all the rest, they say the single one thing you have to do is have these early prayer meetings. And the Scots are all going, no, please, anything, anything but that, right? And it's a lesson. It's a, he's told the stories. It's funny, but he tells also it's a lesson in how we all acculturate the gospel to ourselves and then try to put that on somebody else. So funny in a way, but nonetheless, David says, early will I meet you. The first thing of the day. John Donne talks about going to sleep as being like death and then awaking as being practicing. He calls it practicing his resurrection. And every morning we wake up to this wonder and this mysterious reality of new life, right? I'm awake. I'm alive again. There it is, the faithful son. There it is, the goodness of life. There they are, the call of the birds. And there is something about taking the first energy of the day, the first attention of the day, and going to the deepest place there is, which is to be with our God in solitude, in silence, saying, Oh God, you are my God, and to seek him early. This was Jesus' habit. We're told that in the Gospel of Mark, we're told that Jesus was in this place and he'd done some miracles, and the next morning everybody, everybody was fired up and they wanted to see him, and they couldn't find him, and they couldn't find him because he had gone off, Mark tells us, as was his habit, early in the morning to be with his father. So David says then, when I go to meet with the God who is my God, and when I go early, and there's no distractions, and it's the first energy of the day, and it's the first attention that I've got to give, he says, my soul thirsts for you. But then he says something else that maybe we haven't given enough attention to. My flesh also longs for you. Prayer is a good stretching for the soul, but it's a benefit to the whole of who we are, body, mind, and spirit. And David says, my flesh also longs for you in a barren and dry land where there is no water. I find when I'm anxious, I find that going into that place in prayer, I calm down not only in my soul, but also in my body and in my mind. I find if I'm angry, if I can get in that place, I calm down. I find if I'm really desperate to go have another too much ice cream, that's my issue, I calm down. My body changes. Something changes. And I'm able to wait, and I'm able to be okay, and I'm able to say there is a reality bigger than me in this moment, and it's a good one, a happy one, 
It's one that I want to walk in and someone I want to know. And David says, not only does his soul cry out, but his flesh cries out as well to be with God. David says, thus I have looked on your holy place that I might behold your power and glory for your loving kindness is better than life itself. My lips shall praise you. This is the great thing about singing in church. This is the great thing about participating in the liturgy and in the prayers. When we speak these things, they become a little more real to us. And we hear ourselves saying them. And we become formed in that. And we hear ourselves singing these things. And it reaches deep into our souls. And it shapes us and it lifts us. And it stretches us and gets the kinks out and it reforms us. So David continues now. He moves into the second quad, if you will. As long as I live, I will magnify you. I will lift up my hands in your name. Just involving a different part of his person. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness when my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Great to memorize some scripture. Great to have some in your mind ready, available, so when you're anxious and you wake up and you can't go back to sleep, you can run that through your head. I memorize even just even little bits. Don't worry about, I got to get, you know, this much or that much or the whole thing or know what verse it is or whatever. Whatever speaks to you, memorize it. Whatever it is that registers for you, big, long, short, whatever it is, memorize it. You wake up in anxiety you're in the middle of the night, you wish you could go back to bed, you can't do anything, turn it into a watch. Turn it into waiting with the Lord. Turn it into crying out to him, knowing that he's present. present. Make it something that is beneficial. And whenever you go back to sleep, you go back to sleep. And it's good. Because you have been my helper Therefore, under the shadow of your wings will I rejoice. It's just a great image, just a great poetic image. Just imagine God above you, hovering over you, and you're under the shadow of his protection and under the shadow of his wings. And you go about and you live your life, and God moves about with you. It's just a great poetic image. So then, Saul moves to the last bit. My soul clings to you. I don't, I, how to put it, I don't fondly remember those circumstances, but I fondly remember the moments of clinging. I wouldn't have chosen to feel that desperate, but I fondly remember what it is to cling to God. Your right hand has upheld me. Those who seek to destroy my life, even in the ultimate things of life, shall go down into the earth. Let them fall upon the edge of the sword that they may be a portion for jackals. Strong stuff. It's the hope that good will hold on and win out in the end. But the king shall rejoice in God. All those who swear by him shall be commended, for the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. These are about David, but they're also about Jesus. We asked the other week, how much did David know that these were also about Jesus? Some. We don't know how much. I don't think we know how much. 
he did know that they were about him, their heart cries from him, but he also knew they were about God and his bigger story and the ultimate Messiah King he would bring. These are most of all about Jesus and Jesus rejoices in his father and his life continues and his kingdom continues. So is it a stretch? Is prayer a stretch? I want to say it often is. But there's a danger in that image, this idea that we're stretching for God and we can't get to him. It's not, that's not what I mean. What I mean is God is waiting for us to come in solitude and in silence. In the same way that when we do a stretching routine, we feel our body open up. We feel our body loosen up. We feel things perhaps sort of work their way back into the place they're meant to be in and things move more freely and there's less tension and nothing's cranked and all this. In that same way, when we come to prayer and open ourselves up, God is waiting there for us. It's not that we're stretching out to find him. It's that we're opening up and loosening up to let him. And he comes and he meets us. And we, in all kinds of ways, get loosened up, straightened up, sorted out, and back to being whole and who we're meant to be. Let's just take a moment and practice this. I just invite you to, to uh, in your own heart and in your own mind, I just invite you to say, oh God, you are my God. And then just to, just to wait on God and respond to him in, uh, in whatever way is right for you right now.